Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Oh, my gosh. We've got so much to get into. I have dragged my feet and dragged my feet and dragged my feet. My poor feet are worn out from getting dragged all over the place because of two things. One, Antonio Brown will not stop doing things. Things keep happening with Antonio Brown and he's doing them to himself, he, he might have a mental illness issue. So I don't want to make light of this too much. But there are certain parts of this that need to be made light of. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to get to today. Thursday night football wrap-up, the Antonio Brown continuing saga. We have the Texans trade a palooza, of which I had a front seat row. I got to watch all of this unfold. Things are starting to settle in. We have a little bit of new information from the Houston Chronicle about all that. I'll try to shed light for the national people out there, my non-Houstonians, about exactly what the hell happened with all of that, why the Texans traded away a king's ransom for an offensive tackle, why they traded away a Pro Bowl edge rusher for not much at all. We've also got previews of this week's games and a couple of questions from all of you. Here we go. This, this, my friends, this was not a pretty football game, but it was the highest rated opening Thursday night football game in at least a couple of years. So this sport of ours, which is dying, a uh, agonizing death, seems to not be dying at all. It's the highest rated, this would be the highest rated non-football event all year still. So... Not bad for an awful football game. It helps that it's the Green Bay Packers versus the Chicago Bears. couple big fan bases there. Much ballyhoo on this, the NFL's 100th anniversary, which nobody except Roger Goodell and Peyton Manning seemed to care a whole hell of a lot about. But still, it was a, it was a nice little show of strength for the NFL to have that many eyeballs on a game, which was this miserable. For me, it was a lot of fun. I know I, 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 I'm not sitting here coming at you like, hey, defensive football is a magnificent thing. This is what I like to see. I saw two offensive lines get their asses handed to them. Absolutely bludgeoned, murdered, destroyed. No offense to anybody who's ever been bludgeoned, murdered, or destroyed, but that's what those offensive lines were. And these are supposed to be good offensive lines. That's what was so shocking to me. They should be ashamed of themselves. They let Aaron Rodgers stand back there and have these Chicago Bears, which look like a, just a band of murdering psychopaths coming after him all night long taking shots at his kidneys, his legs, and whatnot on this new-fangled Matt LaFleur offense, which is supposed to revolutionize. I don't know if revolutionize is the right way. Because LaFleur is out of the school of McVay, which also comes out of the school of Kyle Shanahan. He was with Kyle Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, all of these guys that are doing these old-school things, running the old West Coast Mike Shanahan system somehow has turned into revolutionary football. They're doing some really good play action stuff, and they're doing different stuff with the route concepts. But still, it was supposed to look better than this. It was supposed to look better than Aaron Rodgers 
passing for 166 yards. It was supposed to look better than Green Bay rushing for 2.1 yards per carry. It was supposed to look a lot better than a final score of 10 to 3. But this is what you have on the first game where a lot of people are blaming this on the fact that there weren't a whole lot of reps taken by any starters in preseason. I don't, I don't know how much of an effect that has. It's not like last year starters were playing major reps all over the league, and we had an offensive explosion in week one by some teams, and then certainly in the first few games. I think some teams respond to it differently. In this game, it looked like both these offensive lines were shell-shocked. And I say that, I say that almost literally because – there's this phenomenon that happens when you're under an artillery barrage. I know this because I've watched the hard, I've listened to the Hardcore History podcast, as I've told many of you about before. Really interesting, but I never knew this. When you're under artillery fire for a period of time, like two days, it's not just the psychological trauma or the injuries or anything that people sustain. It actually fatigues you and weakens you physically to the point where when the enemy comes in, you can't respond because your body just doesn't work the right way. It's logy, like extremely logy. And that's what both these offensive lines looked like. It looked like, especially in the first half, that the defensive line was just having their way with both these units. I don't know if it ever actually got better for the Bears. The Green Bay defense, to their credit, did a great job all game long. I think the Packers got better at it. And this is where, if you're a Packers fan, you need to have some hope for what it might look like in the future as Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur start to get to know each other better. I've seen this time and time again. That system, that scheme where you're running bootlegs, you're running zone running, if anything, even when it's not successful, it gets the defense running. It gets big defensive linemen running sideline to sideline. As a defensive lineman, I can remember playing against the Broncos. It's the worst because you line up and you're playing the zone run. So the offensive linemen stand up and run to the sideline. So you're following them and you're trying to stop the run. Then the next play, they run the bootleg, but it looks exactly like the run. So you might go five yards to the left and you got to turn and chase to the right. And you end up running a whole lot. By the third and fourth quarter, it starts wearing teams down. And I... You didn't see it manifest itself in some huge offensive output by the Green Bay Packers by the second half, but I think you started to see it take its toll on the Chicago defense, and they weren't able to dictate things the same way the Packers were able to dictate things. But they still they should be ashamed of themselves as offensive linemen there that you let a national treasure like Aaron Rodgers, who, who frankly has never been as consistent as Tom Brady. I'm not sitting here saying he's as good as Tom Brady, but – you can't let Aaron Rodgers go through that all season. I've read the articles. Even if, it, even if those articles are only 25% true, Aaron Rodgers is not a man to be trifled with, okay? Mike McCarthy's still shopping in his probably, – probably shopping in his PJs at some grocery store up there in Green Bay, eating haagen all weekend long, depressed, crying into his cereal in the morning because Aaron Rodgers at least partially had a grudge against him. So Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, get on the same page. There is hope for you in that offense Trubisky, I don't know what to tell you, Chicago. Look, part of this is on the Chicago offensive line. I felt bad for Trubisky and figured he's not going to be able to do much if the offensive line is going to play this way. But he also has to take responsibility for it, especially when they're blitzing. That last, that very last series before Trubisky threw the interception, Green Bay blitzed three times. The last time on third down, I believe it was third and ten, 
It was a safety blitz, and it was a delayed safety blitz. Trubisky was locked in, didn't really anticipate the pressure, and and that was pretty much the whole series for him. He just didn't he didn't anticipate pressure well. He needs to start playing like a veteran quarterback. One other little, uh, just a little non non exciting thing about this game, but it's interesting because we're all going to be watching these pass interference reviews. Lafleur challenged a non pass interference call. He thought that Gabriel had pushed off on a reception. It wasn't flagged on the field. Lafleur threw the flag. They reviewed it in the booth. And as it's happened, I believe, through the preseason unanimously when coaches have challenged it, I don't think any of them have been overturned. This one I could see why. Gabriel pushed off, but his arm was straight. So it was more of a, a positioning end. It's, it's almost like the stiff arm rules. If your hands are stiff, at least these are supposed to be the stiff arm rules. Running backs, running backs get away with doing whatever they want. But it's supposed to be that your arm is stiff and not moving, and you just kind of use it to jockey for position. They're not going to call that. A, a lot of times in football with pass interference, same thing goes with roughing the passer. It's the extra oomph. The, um, the officials are always looking for the extra oomph. So a, a wide receiver – especially for offensive pass interference, obviously, if it's a wide receiver. They're okay with you using your arms to create separation, but not if you're actively pushing off. If it looks like you're bench pressing the guy, they're not going to allow it. So they kind of want a lot of swatting and maybe uh, maybe wedging your hand in somewhere, but they're going to give it away. Look, I watch DeAndre Hopkins a lot. I, this man's a damn artist when it comes to the push-off. It's, it's fantastic what he's able to do. So there you have it. Green Bay Packers going to go to the Super Bowl. Chicago Bears, obviously, you should have despair, disgust, bemoaning your situation. This is what we do after week one. Going to be a whole lot of fun. I'll tell you what else is cool. Football being back on CBS this September. Right now, football is back, and you can watch all your local CBS games live all season long with CBS All Access. Catch games at home or on the go in the back of a ride share at your job if you've got a little bit of free time on a bus. It doesn't matter. I don't care. You're sitting down. Somebody scheduled a fall wedding. Why would they do that? I don't know. But you're watching your local game on your device with CBS All Access. Go to cbs.com slash Seth. That's cbs.com slash Seth to get a one-week free trial. cbs.com slash Seth. Get your free trial. Watch your local games, not to mention a whole bunch of other CBS programming. Okay, short and sweet. Antonio Brown's not in the building today. He won't be practicing. Uh, I don't have any more information for you right now. And when I have some and it becomes appropriate, you guys will all get it. I promise you. But that's it for today. Thank you. That was Thursday. It's hard to keep track. Mike Mayock, Mike Mayock coming out and saying, hey, everybody, Antonio Brown's acting a fool again. And I think it is getting to the point now where acting a fool versus – Antonio Brown might have mental health issues, and this needs to be dealt with in a certain way. I think with sensitivity, but the Raiders also have to. The Raiders also have to protect themselves. So as I record this on a Friday, this is what's happened in the last 24 hours. Mike Mayock said that Antonio Brown had been suspended. We found out that Antonio Brown and Mike Mayock had been in some kind of an altercation on the practice field. Reportedly, allegedly, Antonio Brown had called him numerous names, including bitch and cracker, <laughs> which, uh, look, I know, I know a lot of people will say, oh, he called him a cracker, that's racial, that's the same as a white guy calling a black guy the N-word. Uh, it is most specifically not the same thing. For one, the, I, t 
I said, I don't, do I have to re-explain slavery? Do I have to do that to everybody? Just can you even remember, like, the version you learned in fifth grade, which wasn't even the total version? It's not the same thing. I've been, you don't spend any time around a football team, as long as I did at least, without at least once or twice being called a cracker. Yeah, usually by an opponent. I can't ever think, I, I've, I've been called a cracker at least a couple times by guys on opposing teams. And uh, the first time it ever happened to me, I was kind of taken aback. I thought, well, I guess, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean anything. I don't take any offense to it. And I, and I hereby give everybody honorary status. If you're a non-white person and you want to call me cracker, I'll give you honorary Caucasian status. Go ahead and call me a cracker. Don't, now, don't call me a cracker-ass cracker because then that's a whole different scenario. Still not going to get offended, but then I know you really mean business. I think that Antonio Brown was, was upset, obviously, but he's upset for nobody fault but his own he's done all this to himself he stayed away from practice and you might side with him or sympathize him with the helmet issue you might side with him or sympathize with him about the foot issue but this is the key and critical thing to remember and this is something we have to tell freshmen in college at times it's that whatever your excuse is, even if it's a legitimate excuse, you need to inform the team. You're not allowed to just go AWOL without telling anybody. So Antonio Brown, who, if his issue was his helmet, and if his issue was his feet, well, we know that he's capable of walking and running. We saw it on Hard Knocks, right? If his issue was his helmet, well, you can't miss a walkthrough because you don't have a helmet. Even if you're going to miss the practice because of the helmet, you still got to be on the sideline for the practice. So Mike Mayock, find him as I think he should do as a GM because you always have to it's like it's like in anything in life in any job if you're potentially gonna have to fire somebody down the line you want to be sure everything's documented you know you want to be sure all the transgressions are documented in the case of the Raiders there's 30 million dollars in guaranteed money that's at stake so if the Raiders could prove conduct detrimental that Antonio Brown was acting above and beyond beyond the pale of what a football player should be, how he should behave in himself. Antonio Brown doesn't have any protections in his contract to keep him from losing that guaranteed money. So I think the Raiders, the Raiders have to practice some tough love here. And now that Antonio Brown, I can't remember if I said this at the beginning or not. It's so hard. I Honestly, I had recorded something about Antonio Brown yesterday. I had to delete it today. Antonio Brown now, within the last couple hours on this Friday afternoon, is reportedly going to be playing this weekend. He apologized to the team. He apologized for his role in the altercation with Mike Mayock. I think a couple things go on here. One, the Raiders are a much better football team if Antonio Brown is playing Antonio Brown-level football. He's just awesome. And they don't have a whole lot of guys after him that scare you. I, I'm a fan of the Texans. The Texans play the Raiders this year. I would prefer to face the Raiders without Antonio Brown, whether he's acting out or not. I don't care about their locker room chemistry. I care about what he does on Sunday. So the Patriots would like Antonio Brown to play for them, but they also have to protect themselves. So I think Mike Mayock is probably going about this in, in two ways. One, we need to show tough love to Antonio Brown and show that we're not going to put up with him doing whatever he wants to do with no repercussions because it's hard to run a football team that way. Two, we need to protect ourselves financially. We need to be sure that if he does keep acting this way, that we can get our money back. And three, and I think this it's interesting, the NFL this year introduced an initiative where they make a mental health professional available to the players for a certain number of hours 
each week. And it's not that many hours. Some people actually criticize the NFL for taking this positive step forward because they said it's not enough hours. I would imagine this is somebody that's just there to talk to guys and perhaps forward them on or send them on, give them a referral to another mental health professional. Because I know myself personally, if I'm going to go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I would rather not have it be the team guy if I'm going to really get deep into my issues just because I, I know there shouldn't be a conflict of interest there. I know there's confidentiality, but you know how that goes. I don't, I'm, a, I'm not a mistrustful person or a distrustful person, but I know that humans are humans. Sometimes allegiances are a little bit hazier than they should be. So I think that's the third thing is that if this is a mental health issue, let's think about this very coldly, just very analytically. What's best for the Raiders in this situation? If they can get Antonio Brown some help, sure, it's awesome to do on a humanitarian level, but really, it's awesome to do as a football team, too. And we've seen this before with various guys with with mental health issues. Brandon Marshall, the receiver, he got help for his borderline personality disorder. That's right, it was borderline personality disorder. And he went on to have several more years of production where a lot of people had written him off already because he got that mental health help. When I, was, when I was in Jacksonville, Alonzo Spellman was a free agent. And you guys might remember Alonzo Spellman. This guy looked like a prototypical defensive end, everything you would want. He had freakishly long arms, extremely lean and muscular. But I always like to say where the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. A lot of times with extremely physically talented pass rushers, he giveth on the body side. He taketh away a little bit upstairs. And it's almost like whatever the biochemistry needs to be to create a specimen so perfect, sometimes maybe you lose a little bit on the neurological side. So Alonzo Spellman had some health issues. And when he came to visit the Jaguars, one of the conditions was going to be that they had to supervise him taking his medications in the morning. He balked at that, didn't want to do it, ends up signing elsewhere. I can't remember where. And it ended up it ended up being kind of a sad story for Alonzo Spellman. I don't want to make light of it, but at one point he he left a mental hospital in Chicago in the dead of winter in his hospital gown. Just went AWOL in his hospital gown, walking barefoot down the street, this huge hulking specimen of a human being. And the cops, I think, had to roll up next to him with, with uh with his glutes hanging out of his hospital gown and they had to figure out a way to get this guy into a cop car. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So, so long story short, I hope that it helps. It, it works out for Antonio Brown better than it did for Alonzo Spellman. And I don't – He's look, he's not at the level where he's going to be institutionalized or anything, but I think he's clearly acting – this isn't some game to get out of training camp at this point. He's clearly got some kind of – I don't want to say a victim complex, but maybe a paranoia or doesn't quite understand that the world doesn't revolve around him. Maybe it's some kind of narcissism. I don't know. Email me, sethpain 91 at gmail.com if, uh, if you're a mental health professional and you can, you can diagnose him from afar. But 
it would help them a lot if they could get him into the fold and get him flying and flying right and working the way he did a couple years ago. As a Texans fan, I'll tell you, I don't. I, I would prefer that it not work out. And that's me selfish. That's me coldly, callously saying that Antonio Brown's a hell of a football player. Here he is. He's Dahoa50. I don't know how I'm supposed to pronounce that. Who was the most Antonio Brownish player you ever shared a locker room with? I'm not going to go into names here. There was one guy who was a very talented football player who, again, amateur psychologist here. If I had to guess, I, uh, he was bipolar, and he's the kind of guy that could walk into a room and completely change the temperature of a room. It could go into hilarious and fun and, wow, this is the greatest guy ever, to, wow, I feel awful about myself right now. I feel awful about the world because this guy's because this guy made me feel that way. He was just that kind of a guy, but he was a really good football player. And I think what happens is you kind of put up with it. This is that's no secret. I can't remember what Andrew Brandt always says. Andrew Brandt says something about uh, talent trumps behavior or ta whatever it is, talent wins out over all those things. And as long as you're playing really well and as long as you're electric as an athlete, you put up with it. And I guess it's like any normal workplace. You have some people that are hard to deal with. You have some people that are more extreme than others. And, I, I, you know, the one thing that annoys me a little bit is whenever I see people say, well, in a normal job, he'd have been fired right away. Do I, have to, do I have to explain that it's not a normal job? Because it's clearly not. It's a completely different job than almost every other job in America. And that's why certain guys get away with stuff that you would never get away with in your normal workplace. Although I will say, if you find yourself saying, well, I'd never get away with this in my workplace, I think you need to try to maybe self-examine and think, have I done enough to make myself invaluable in the workplace? Because if you're the number one salesperson, think about this. If you're in sales right now, think about the number one sales guy or lady salesperson in your office and think about if they had a bad day, what if they showed up drunk, walked into your boss's office, told your boss off, called him a cracker, called him a bitch, did all those things. Would that salesperson get fired? Or would they probably get suspended, uh, have a talking to, maybe some kind of dog and pony show about the discipline they received, and then they'd be right back at crushing it in sales? I think, I think the majority of the time, that person would keep their job, right? And that's a normal job. You can give it away with a whole lot. Let me tell you something. I've, I've walked out of a radio studio before, live, on air. I walked off the job. I didn't even get suspended, and I'm not even – I uh, might be invaluable. I don't know. I'm a, you know, I don't like to toot my own horn. Somebody else asked – Allison asked, in your professional football opinion, is Antonio Brown worth all the hassle and distraction to a team? That's another – it's another question that's very individual to the specific team. I, I think it, it depends on how much of a guy is a leader, one, because sometimes – you can be a head case, but if you're not a charismatic head case, you don't really affect everybody else. And I've been around various different types of guys. They've, I've, got, I've been around guys that have their demons, but they're very quiet, and it doesn't affect anybody else. Uh, there was one receiver who's a very, very good receiver who had a drug and alcohol issue, but nobody ever knew it until he got arrested. And he obviously didn't affect anybody. 
if he had been coming into the locker room drunk and high and berating people or acting erratically or, God forbid, missing practice or missing games or something like that, then it would have been an issue. So I don't know with Antonio Brown how much of his behavior actually affects other people. I do know that in Pittsburgh, Juju Smith-Schuster seemed to be targeted by Antonio Brown almost, like passive-aggressively, but that's not a good environment. If, you're, if your wide receiver meeting room has one guy who's jealous of another guy's success – it's, it's natural for there sometimes to be a little bit of jealousy, but guys got to be able to handle it well. When you start to make it public and when you start to make kind of passive comments in the press about remember who the good receiver is, all that stuff, then it can be an issue. And I think that's where Antonio Brown is. The people in Pittsburgh, the players in Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, don't seem to miss Antonio Brown, the personality. So I would tend to say, without actually being in the, that locker room, that Antonio Brown's behavior is certainly – this is not just a GM that's going to be upset because he got shown up in front of the team or anything. This is that Antonio Brown's behavior is just above and beyond. And they're going to try to work their way through it. He's going to play this week. We'll see how long this lasts. I can tell you unequivocally that we want Jadavian Clowney here. Uh, he's uh, part of this team. We want him here. Um, you know, there, there's always a, a difference uh, when you're talking about money relative to wanting him on the team. That's something that the agent and our organization are, are working on. But relative to the player and, and the, the history that uh, he and I have together, we would love to have him here. That, my friends, was Bill O'Brien on July 25th when he said unequivocally they'd like to have Jadeveon Clowney here. Here's why I am on that statement. And was that coach speak? Was it true? I think that Bill O'Brien wanted Jadeveon Clowney there on July 25th at that point. Either as a player or if only for them to be able to, after Jadeveon Clowney signed the franchise tender, to be able to trade him away to somebody. So I think he definitely did want him there, whether it was to sign the tender and trade him away or to have him play on the one-year contract. Who's to say? I think this is what people outside the city of Houston need to know when people ask what the hell is going on inside the Texans organization. I've been here now for almost a week since all of this went down on Saturday. Two huge trades that people were very critical of. You trade away Jadeveon Clowney for a third-round pick. The Texans pay $7 million of his salary this year to facilitate the trade to the Seattle Seahawks. So that's one trade. That happens early on Saturday morning. Actually happened at 2.30 a.m. in the morning. At least somebody I know got the notification at 2.30 in the morning. I don't know exactly when the deal went down. I found out about it at about 9 a.m. No, no, I found out about it at about 10.30 a.m., I think. Whenever it went down, I know I was drinking mimosas at brunch, and I realized, oh, this is going to be a different kind of day. I better stop drinking. So I think even by that point, I knew about the trade and I'd had a couple drinks. But then I started realizing, oh, wow. I was talking to Landry Locker, a coworker of mine, the midday host on Sports Radio 610. And we realized there's more stuff going down. There's a good chance now that they're still not done because the Clowney trade was independent of the Texans trying to trade for an offensive tackle. Then we find out that the Texans have traded away two first-round picks a second-round pick, and they get back a couple of later-round picks for Laramie Tunsil, the offensive tackle, 
and Kenny Stills, the wide receiver from the Miami Dolphins. Now, I don't have enough time here to go into all of this when we get into exactly what happened. Let me try to break it down to people from outside the city of Houston and to people from inside the city of Houston that have jobs and haven't had to be, they haven't had to follow this 18 hours a day the way I have had to for the last week or so. Let's break it down. These two are two independent things. Some people thought, oh, they had to trade away Clowney to be able to get Tunsil. Not true at all. They had plenty of cap space to do it. The Texans have a ton of cap space, and that that factors into all of this. But on the Clowney side of things, the report comes out in the Houston Chronicle today confirming some things that had been bandied about that people pretty much knew was that the Texans have been negotiating for Jadeveon Clowney for quite some time, going back to last year. Jadeveon Clowney wanted something approaching the contract of Khalil Mack, $140 million or so. The Texans never wanted to go above a $100 million contract. So this is where it gets interesting. In the spring, the Texans shopped Jadeveon Clowney out, and Clowney and his agent, Bus Cook, were wanting apparently reportedly somewhere between the $105 million contract that DeMarcus Lawrence got. I think DeMarcus Lawrence got a $104 million contract, and then Frank Clark got $105 million or vice versa, whatever. Let's call it that $105 million mark. That Jadeveon Clowney wanted something more than that, maybe approaching the Khalil Mack territory. The Texans didn't want to budge above $100 million. And that's one of the biggest obstacles to a trade that the Texans had was that Clowney's contract expectations were likely higher than a lot of teams that wanted to trade for Jadeveon Clowney in the spring were willing to take on. So that's one barrier to a trade. And you might ask, well, Seth, why didn't the Texans want to pay more than that $100 million? He's a healthy, productive player. He's not as good a pass rusher as Khalil Mack, but he's a better run stuffer, I would argue. And he's been healthy the last three years. He's only missed several games the last three years. Is it because of? Is it because he doesn't work hard? Is it because of not, he doesn't hustle enough? It's definitely not that he doesn't hustle enough on game day. I've heard plenty uh, speculation or enough people that believe that he wasn't the worker bee, quote unquote, that Bill O'Brien really wants out of his best players. So I think. As it often happens, the truth is somewhere in between. It's not that Bill O'Brien despised Jadeveon Clowney, but I think some of these variables kept them from wanting to give him marquee dollars, and they couldn't come to an agreement on the value for Jadeveon Clowney. You could argue, and I would still submit, that there was a better time and there was a different way to do all of this, and that perhaps cutting ties earlier in the spring and, and getting a trade for him then might have been the case. I've softened a little bit, though. I understand that there's a lot more complex human factors going on here. And I, I'll, I'll hand it to Clowney. Clowney got the best thing that he could have out of this situation. After, after July 15th of this year, Clowney couldn't negotiate a long-term contract with anybody, with the Texans or anybody else. And the Texans, if he had showed up and reported, the Texans could have franchise tagged him again in 2020. Clowney got the Seahawks to agree to not franchise tag him next year. So Clowney will be a free agent in March, which is way better in terms of his personal contractual freedom than he could have had or expected before. So kudos to Clowney, who did that without an agent, by the way. He had fired his agent. Now... 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Laramie Tunsil. Now, this is a whole—you're going to have to psychoanalyze me. I'm going to have to go to Antonio Brown's therapist for this because it gets so complex. Let's go back to a couple years ago when the Texans traded away Dwayne Brown at the trade deadline. They had their franchise left tackle. Dwayne had been banged up and injured, and he wasn't quite as good and solid as he had been before, but he's a very good and viable offensive left tackle. These things are hard to come by, or so we've discovered since Dwayne Brown left. We've been through a litany of various non-replacements, wannabe replacements for Dwayne Brown, and our quarterback's brains, our quarterback's internal organs, they've all suffered because of it. Now they have this opportunity to get Laramie Tunsil, and I actually... I was curious about why they were so fixated on the Dolphins and why the Texans thought that they could rest out, if they, they, they could pry out an offensive tackle from a team that desperately needed an offensive tackle. I think at least part of it was their relationship with the Miami Dolphins. I actually asked Bill O'Brien about that today. Does it help that you have a relationship with the guys with Dolphins too? Is there anything more free flow of exchange or trust level yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely that definitely helps. I mean, when you're on the phone with uh, Chris Greer, who who I've known for a long time, who did a great job. I mean, he was really patient. I think we were both patient with each other in the whole process. And then Brian Flores, when when I did talk to him, you know, there's there's similar philosophies on football and what you're looking for in a player. And they were able, and they're very honest. You know, you know, if you have a relationship, you know, there's not going to be any BS. They're going to tell you like it is. This is the deal. This is what he does. This is you know, who he is, and, and it was all very positive, so we felt really good about it. So that was at least part of it. I don't know if Dolphins fans feel any better about the fact that they did get – they got two first-rounders and a second-rounder for an offensive tackle who is a bright young player and is going to be really good, but I don't know how good or how much he's going to help them over the next year or two. And if they draft a rookie quarterback next year, great and fine – but they have a lot of needs on that team. They do not have a deep roster. Still, unheard of for a guy, for a team to trade away a franchise left tackle, which Larry McTunsell is widely regarded by smart people like Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah, I respect his opinion a lot. He said he's the best young offensive tackle in the league right now. Why would you part with him? And that's why it's interesting to me because my first reaction, this is my first gut reaction after having watched the Texans closely for the last several years was you should have handled this beforehand. This should have been taken care of beforehand. This is a desperation move. Why are you trading so much future capital for a guy right now who's going to potentially fix 20% of your line? And I think that's a very valid objection. I still feel that way. But I also, if I put myself in Bill O'Brien's shoes, I don't like to make excuses for people 
But I think that Bill O'Brien, in his mind, likely blames Brian Gain and Rick Smith, the two previous general managers, for at least part of this. Dwayne Brown leaving was a whole confluence of factors from his contract demands to his raising a fist in protest during the national anthem and how the owner felt about that. All kinds of complex things led to that Dwayne Brown departure. That wasn't a general manager issue necessarily, but it wasn't a Bill O'Brien problem either. Brian Gain came in and was the general manager for a couple of drafts and never fixed this issue. And at this point, I think Brian Gain, or excuse me, Bill O'Brien said, enough is enough. We're going to go ahead and solve this no matter what it takes. Did they get fleeced? Potentially. <laughs> Potentially they got fleeced unless it works out. And I hate to say that because it's punting on it. It's, it's almost not grading the trade. I'm going to say right now that I don't expect Laramie Tunsil to completely fix the Texans' offensive line. I think they have other issues. They have other question marks. They do have two young players that I like a lot. And those young players might not really be good pros until next year or maybe even the year after. So maybe this offensive line gets fixed and Bill O'Brien isn't around to see it. But I don't know if it's as immediate a fix as Bill O'Brien wants it to be. And that's where I'll judge it and grade it most harshly is that perhaps the idea that you can go out and fix an offensive line quickly with one left tackle and to do it by trading away a couple of first-rounders and a second-rounder I think that's, that's a little pie-in-the-sky thinking. And as a Texans fan, I'm conflicted because now I sit here and I look at this team. And if I forget about what led to it, both the bad decisions, both the failure to address the situation, and then the trade that ultimately came from it, if I forget all of that and all that drama, I like the fact that Laramie Tunsil's on this football team. You should have seen the interview he did the other day. My gosh. This kid is this kid is polished, <laughs> which shouldn't shouldn't mean a whole lot. But with certain positions on the football field, I tend to want my guys a little bit more CEO-ish. Quarterback certainly is one of them. You want that guy to be a leader. Left tackle on this specific offensive line, and I think you have to think about this with your offensive line, whoever your favorite team is. Wade Smith, uh, Pro Bowl offensive lineman for the Texans back when their offense was humming, always says this: you need to have at least one old head on the offensive line. You need to have one guy that can show the other guys how it's done. Laramie Tunsil is not old in NFL years or in experience, but you can tell in talking to him that he's an old soul, that he kind of gets it. You can tell when he watch when you watch him on film that he lets the game come to him. He doesn't he doesn't jump on the first crosser he sees on a blitz or a, a defensive line game. He, set, he lets everything sort out. That's a, that's a patience and a judgment that, frankly, we haven't seen out of the Texans' offensive line in a few years. And I think part of the problem is they don't have a single guy on the unit that can show guys how to do it. I think Laramie Tunsil might be that guy. So I am the brainwashed dude from Houston who slowly over the course of a week talked himself into this trade. Take it with a grain of salt. It makes sense on some levels if the Texans can figure it out. And most of all, if Deshaun Watson can stay healthy. Was it a desperation move? <laughs> yeah, this was a desperation move. Sometimes desperation moves work. Sometimes a heave at the buzzer from half court works out. I think this was somewhere between a long three and a half court shot. And it's not a Steph Curry long three. It's not a Dwight Howard long three. It's somewhere in between. It's a guy that's a 33% three-point three shooter launching a long three as the shot clock winds down. It's that level of desperation. This is what we're going to do. I need to get this podcast out there into the universe right now. My overlords at Entercom LLC want me to do that. I'm going to be talking to Ted Johnson 
former New England Patriot, three-time Super Bowl champion. I'm talking to him in about one hour. So I will go ahead and lonk on some previews to that and, and put out a separate podcast episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe, rate it on iTunes. That would be awesome. I saw a couple of you rated it five stars last week. I appreciate it. If you write down a review, I will read that review as long as I see it. Sometimes administratively, I don't quite see the reviews. So send me a reminder, SethPayne91 at gmail.com. You guys are all awesome. And thank you. Have a great weekend. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.